This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Tu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to Faculty Focus. This podcast features interviews with Trine University faculty members about their current research and their insights on issues impacting us all today. My guest today is Melissa Somerville, who is a faculty member in Trine University's online RN to BSN program. Dr. Somerville has been in education for 14 years, teaching across disciplines and programs, and before that she served as a bedside nurse in neurosurgical intensive care, cardiac care, and stroke care. Today we're going to talk about the topic of diversity in the nursing profession. Melissa, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Um, Maybe just to start off, can you talk a little bit about your nursing background and why the topic of diversity in the profession is important to you? Well, diversity is important because of an experience my husband and I had in Turkey when he was very ill, and we had to go to the emergency room in a Turkish hospital, and nobody spoke English. And it was uh, very lucky that he could read the EKG and knew that he was not having a heart attack at that time because that's what they wanted to uh, take care of him for. I also was raised outside the United States and did not come to the United States until I was 20 years old. And so I have a diverse background. I speak multiple languages and I've always been very interested in the cultures of many places that I've lived. To start off, can you give me a little bit of background um, for those who may not be aware of the issue of diversity in nursing? Just kind of what is, what are the issues with it? Well, the issues with diversity in nursing has to do with the shift in demographics and health disparities. And those are basically our prominent issues in culturally competent health care. Nurses, especially those in the hospitals, spend the most amount of time with the patients, 8 to 12 hours a day, and understanding the needs of the diverse patient um, is vital to quality outcomes. Nursing is challenged to educate, also to recruit and retain, as our hospitals, um, a diverse nursing workforce with similarities to the U.S. demographics. Uh, unfortunately, we're not getting there. You mentioned nurses need to understand the needs of a diverse patient population. What are some things they can or should do to be able to do this? Or can they do this? Well, the most important thing is to educate themselves. Uh, The hospitals have training. We have continuing education uh, units that people can take. Basically, learning to communicate and learning to understand the needs of a different culture are the most important things that we can do to promote quality outcomes in our patients. Now, in terms of diversity in areas such as race and gender, um, how does the nursing workforce compare to the general population? Not particularly well. Uh, The 2014 Census Bureau reported 38% of the U.S. population was made up of minority groups. The 2017 statistics from the National Council of Boards of Nursing and the Forum of State Nursing Workforce Center showed that the minority nurses made up approximately 19 of the registered nursing workforce. 80% of the registered nurses in the United States are white. 
we do have Asians that make up about 8%. Many are from the Philippines. Uh, blacks are just over 10%, and Hispanics or Latinos account for around 8% of the registered nurse workforce. Male nurses, which I happen to enjoy teaching very much, um, make up about 13% of the workforce. Now, the highest proportion of registered male nurses are nurse um, anesthetists, or CRNAs, and this is an advanced degree and recently has become a required doctorate. So we don't see them at the bedside. Uh, many of my male nurses have worked in transport, which is usually the helicopter, intensive care, and emergency departments. I recently read a blog by Mike Guston, a registered nurse, and it was quite eye-opening in that he said that the worst thing that's happened to men in nursing was a movie called Meet the Fockers. Apparently, the lead character is a male and faces ridicule throughout the movie for being a nurse. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, but as I recall, I think that was a Ben Stiller movie uh, a few years ago. With nursing being a very well-paying profession in a lot of ways, uh, if, you know, particularly if one does travel nursing or options like that, there is a, a, an opportunity to make decent money at it. Why do you think the number of men in the profession has still remained low? I mean, at 13% as opposed to roughly 50% of the gen general population. Basically, our society still believes that the nurse should be a woman, and men are not counseled in high school to go into nursing. If they do want to go into healthcare, they are directed more into becoming a doctor, um, a physician assistant, and that's basically the, the reasons why. If the, man, if the male wants to go into nursing, they are usually looking at nursing as the stepping stone to going into leadership or CRNA, um, nurse practice of some sort, and not stay at the bedside. Again, what do you think the profession can do to kind of overcome that stereotype that a nurse has to be or should be a woman? Oh, I think that we are working towards that. We're getting a few more men in nursing, and we see more men in leadership positions, both at um, our national organizations and in education. If we can get more men to become educators, then it will become more attractive to young men in high school who maybe want to go into the healthcare field. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier, too, that you enjoy teaching male students. Why, uh, why in particular do you enjoy that? The guys are usually a lot of fun in that they are a little more open to um, learning and criticism, constructive criticism, of course. And I, I find the male nurse, or the male nursing student, I should say, to be very caring and compassionate. And I enjoy that interaction with them and seeing them grow in the clinical um, area of nursing. The women are equally, but we all expect the women to be that way. And so you, you enjoy the women just as much, the young women that are learning their first injections. But there is something about the male that has always um, attracted me 
to teaching them mainly because um, we need so many more and I really appreciate when a male or young man wants to be in nursing. And I will tell you that I have worked with uh, educators who do not like men in nursing and I have worked with um, nurse managers and other nurses who do not like men in nursing. Besides areas such as race and gender, are there other areas of concern in um, terms of diversity? Well, the U.S. has many pockets of first-generation populations from other countries. Fort Wayne, for example, has a large Burmese population and a growing number of Central and West Africans. We need to hone in on their, these cultures' richness and promote nursing as a career in these ethnic groups. The value that they can give to the patient quality outcomes is, would be amazing, especially whenever you think of language and food and you know, just touch and space. Nursing has a lot to offer anyone who puts effort to succeed in school. You know, they, they can go far. Now, you said we need to hone in on these cultures. Uh, so practically, what are ways to do that? What does nursing education need to do to, to reach out to, again, some of these new cultures to get nurses uh, who represent these cultures? Well, we need to recruit them, but to recruit them, we need to educate them. And so it's basically through getting them into the college um, nursing programs, and that's the only way that we're going to increase not only our nursing workforce, but diversity in our nursing workforce. How does the diversity of the workforce now compare to the past? Has it improved at all, or do nurses look the same in terms of, again, race, gender, ethnicity, as they did 100 years ago, or maybe even more? Well, unfortunately, it's pretty much what it was 100 years ago. Uh, the nursing profession has never represented the di diversity um, of the nation. Dr. Jean Whelan is a nurse historian, and she has written extensively on nursing over the past hundred years. So think of your typical image um, of a nurse. She's young, she's white, and she's female. When, by the way, the average age is actually 51 years old. Uh, over the past hundred years, the demographics of nurses show a lack of diversity and a slow progress in diversifying the profession. Only 3% of nurses were African American in 1910, which is the first census that provided racial breakdowns on nurses. And the data shows that the increases in African Americans did not match the increases in white population then, nor does it now. The trend over the following decades were a decrease in black nurses while there's been an increase in white nurses. By the 1950s, the percentages of African nurses began increasing approximately 1% every decade, and that's not enough to keep up with the demographics, especially when we consider the amount of immigrants that we bring in. Unfortunately, representation of other racial and ethnic minorities in nursing is still quite low. Uh, the nurse profession obviously has got a long way to go to reflect diversity. But I will tell you that something that's very interesting that I found in the research is that African-American nurses have, on the average, more advanced education than their white counterparts, and the rates of full-time employment are also higher. Now, would you like a little brief history on men in nursing? 
Sure, go ahead. It's interesting because men were our first nurses. They've been caregivers since ancient Rome. They were caregivers during the plague um, in Alexandria and the Crusades, and this was also the same in the Civil War. The Army Nurse Corps, which was established in 1901, was the reason why men were no longer allowed to serve as nurses, and this established the male career as an exclusively female career. This went on until 1955 when we, the Army Nurse Corps commissioned the first male nurse. Is the idea that nurses are primarily female, then is that true more in the United States than other countries? Because it sounds like when you're talking the Army Nurse Corps, that would be the U.S. Army. So is it within this country that, again, men tend not to get into nurse, nursing, or is, is it more of a worldwide issue? It's a more of a worldwide issue when you're looking at the global north versus the global south. And that is simply because the global south are countries that still primarily take care of their family members at home. And the nursing is done at home by the mother and the sisters, the aunts, versus the global north where education is stressed and where the stereotype of a male is to be the wage earner, uh, the the head of the household, and to get the education. Usually they end up going into medicine. Now, uh, one thing you mentioned, too, with the average age of registered nurses being 51, if I'm doing the math correctly off the top of my head, that would mean that half of, of current nurses are age 51 or, or above, which means that you know, within, say, the next 20 years, you would have half of your workforce retiring. Um, it may be a topic for another podcast, but wouldn't this create concern about a lot of nurses leaving the workforce? Yes, this is a major concern. And this is a, actually pretty much a worldwide concern, but let's concentrate on the United States, of course. Um, it is of a major concern because we have the baby boomers. They're getting older. And we do worry about having enough nurses in our workforce to take care of the baby boomers, the aging population. Um, we also have some issues in that a lot of nurses who go to nursing school will be out of nursing in, within one to three years. Um, they either did not like nursing, they tend to leave faster, or married and family and they don't want to work anymore. So the nursing shortage is a real thing. And as you said, it, it's a podcast within itself. Why does the nursing workforce not reflect uh, the diversity of the general population? I know we talked a little bit about maybe why men don't get into it as much. But in terms of, again, ethnic and racial diversity, is it an issue that there aren't a lot of opportunities for people to get into nursing, or the people from different ethnic and, and racial backgrounds just not have an interest in the profession, or is there something else involved? And how do we address these issues? That's a really great question. And some progress has been made in educating a more diverse group of nursing students. Um, in 2018, the da data shows that 32% of the nursing students 
admitted into programs were racially and ethnically diverse. And this was up from 10 years ago when it was just under 25%. Uh, that's not a great statistic, but it is progress. There are complicating factors that limit the opportunities. Uh, some are like culture, others are interests, but those of course, would, as we've talked about, could be a podcast in themselves. So we'll look at the uh, nurse educators um, work with diversity. We look at social determinants, and those are a mitigating factor in many students' ability to obtain or succeed in higher education. The social determinants are a domino effect, and the domino effect is low-income housing, low tax base, therefore few resources, especially for their schools, and this leads to fewer college preparatory educational opportunities. Um, admission to a nursing program is also very difficult. Uh, the grade point average plays uh, an important role along with the highest grades in math and sciences. We need our counselors to get those kids into math and sciences in high school. Added to that fact, there are very few seats in nursing programs nationwide, and it becomes a test of who has the highest grade point average. But not only that, then who has the highest grade point average looking at the maths and sciences. But the basic issue is there's not enough nurse educators to accommodate all the people who want to go to nursing school. There are a lot of people that apply and want to go to nursing school. We just don't have the educators out there to allow them a seat in, the, in our programs. So we have to encourage more nurses to become educators. Marketing nursing as a profession in communities, in schools, where there are diverse populations. And we need um, organizational support for the students so that someone who is coming out of one of the lower income area schools will be able to navigate the admissions process, find funding, and we also need to develop university-based resources for these students. You mentioned the percentages of new nursing students that, again, is reflecting more diversity, but do these students tend to complete the program at a rate uh, similar to, uh, again, to, to white nurses? Um, and also, you mentioned a lot, leave the profession in short order. Are the, the trends there among diverse nurses, Are do they tend to stay in the profession more or less than, than, again, the stereotypical young white female nurse? There again, you're looking at culture, at one's culture. And so it's going to depend on, are they married when they're in school? If they're not, then they get married out of school. Does the husband expect them to stay at home? So... Do they stay in nursing more than the white nurse? I wouldn't, I don't have the statistics to say yes or no, but in my work experience, I would say that they don't stay in nursing um, once they get married and have a family. As far as completing the nursing programs, nursing's a very difficult program, and their completion of a program, their graduation rate, is dependent upon the support 
that they can get not only in their nursing program, but through the university. Now remember, we're looking at a lot of English as a second language students, and so they need the support of English as a second language at their school. They need the support in writing. We, they also need the support from the program in that we need to learn how to write test questions and we need to learn to lecture without using colloquialisms that are very common in nursing. And I'll give you an example. We like to call a urinary, indwelling urinary catheter a Foley. And you might say that to a student and they not understand what you're talking about because that's not the way they have learned it. The textbooks and their ATIs and everything says indwelling urinary catheter. Uh, an example that I have from a student on a question that was on an exam was uh, split pea soup. And she had never heard of split pea soup. She was Burmese. And she had, no, she had no idea. That was also the answer to the question. So we have to be very careful to not fail our students ourselves as educators. You mentioned about encouraging more nurses to become educators. You know, looking ahead that a lot of nurses are going to be retiring and leaving the workforce, then how do you, you know, kind of balance the needs of, of maybe pulling uh, nurses out of the workforce to become edu full-time educators and still have the nurses that you need on the floor and, you know, in other roles. It's not so much that we would pull them out of the bedside. What I would like to see is the nurses that want to go for the advanced degree, and they've already made up their mind, to consider nursing education over other nursing tracks. You know, one of the ways to do this is whenever you're looking at your future post-graduation, how's the job market? The job market for nurse educators is quite good, um, but there are some job markets where they're already saturated. And so that would be one of the probably most important things, aspects to look at with graduate education. So I don't think I'd look at it quite as we're taking out away from the bedside but we're asking those people who want their advanced degree or getting their advanced degree to look at nursing education. There, I have to tell you, you know, nursing education is great for, in a lot of ways, we can use nurse practitioners and give them a day of practice so that you work maybe as in education three or four days a week and you have a practice day. So there are, you know, there's things that education can do and has done around the country to accommodate people who still want to work in uh, nurse practice and be an educator. You also mentioned that, you know, again, a lot of the younger female nurses will get out of nursing school, do nursing maybe a year or two, and then decide to stay home with a family. Is there anything we can or should be doing as a society to mitigate that? Not that we want to take them away from their families, obviously, but to make it easier for them to continue in the profession while, while maintaining a family? I can tell you that locally, the hospitals have childcare, which is a huge help for a lot of parents. You have to give options. Right now, over the past number of years, the 12-hour uh, shift has been more popular than the 8-hour shift. 
But if you've got young children at home, a 12-hour shift is quite long and you're away from your family during dinner time and bedtime or you're working overnight and not getting them ready for school in the morning. So you know, make a difference in the amount of shift that you're allowed to work. Maybe make a difference and have you work eight to four instead of the seven to three so you can get those kids off to school. But basically making it easier for the mother and nurse to be at home when she needed to be at home will keep more nurses at the bedside. So what issues does lack of diversity in nursing cause for the medical profession as a whole? Well, the medical profession as a whole, and of course, we're obviously looking specifically at nursing, but I know that physicians look, see this also. PAs, nurse practitioners, are all, they all have to deal with diversity. And there are six phenomena that we look at for culturally competent health care. And these six phenomena must be met to be able to give the quality of care. Providing culturally competent patient care and quality patient outcomes is dependent upon communication. And I would say that's number one. Space or touch. You have people that don't want to be touched. You have people that can't be touched on the head or their feet can't be touched. Social organization environmental controls, time, and of course, biological variations. Very important for both nursing and medicine. So communication, it's more than the spoken word. You have to be very careful whenever you go in and you did not want to take care of somebody who did not speak English because verbal and nonverbal cues, uh, eye contact, your stance, your voice, all show your feelings. Uh, hand gestures are great for communicating certain aspects of care, and I use them often, uh, such as taking medications, hygiene, asking about pain or, or pottying, which is how we talk about going to the bathroom. But communication, I'm going to say, is the top issue. Uh, environmental control for nursing and medical people has often more to do with a fatalistic attitude of certain cultural groups and I you know I can give examples but for some people and and it's not always culture it can be religious for some people there is hope when you've gotten a bad diagnosis and for other people it's what's happened to them it's it's almost like um, they've been bad so this is what they're going to die so biological variations are important because medications don't work on the same people um, the same way. Some of the things that we have to look in at that are the pharmacogenetics, and that's important because metabolism and the effectiveness and the side effects of medications can be different for different races. Um, holistic and over-the-counter medications patients might be using at the time of hospitalization can interfere with our medications. And prime example that we see of this and actually I had a friend that did this, was decided to take care of their clotting issues by taking vitamin E, and upon being admitted to the hospital with a stroke, ended up having a bleed because they, he had been on so much vitamin E. And vitamin E is a, acts as a blood thinner. So you add vitamin E and the blood thinner, and it was not a good combination. So you have to ask about things like that. A social organization is important to many cultures, 
And this is really uh, important because if you ignore social organization of a culture, then you are ignoring or disrespecting them. And I'll give you a prime example of that. The Amish have a distinct hierarchy, and the decision maker is often thought of as to be the male or most often the bishop. And so if that bishop is there or the male, you have to be very respectful and address them. However, that doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have control. And you have to look for the cues that says that the wife is in control and will make the decisions. Um, so you don't want to get yourself in, in, dig a hole for yourself and be embarrassed because our primary objective is always to take care of our patient, our patient first, and to have quality patient outcomes. And as they say, nothing goes by the textbook. What about individual nurses? What kinds of issues, again, does the lack of diversity um, cause for individual nurses who maybe have to treat or work with a more diverse population? Well, we have access by phones to contracted interpreters. And unfortunately, this can be scary because we don't know what's being said. And we're not supposed to talk to family members who may speak English and have them interpret to us because, again, we don't know what is being said. And they may not be telling mama or papa or whoever they're talking to the truth, especially about their diagnosis. So the most significant issues that nursing is facing with a diverse patient is obviously communication. And this is a problem because... You can have unintentional misinformation or misleading of patients, delayed patient treatment, inappropriate treatment because you don't understand what they are saying, and of course that can always lead to complications. Like having a family member translate or send information back and forth, isn't that like a potential violation of HIPAA privacy laws? Probably it could be. However, if that family member is on their HIPAA form, then we can talk to them. So we would want to make sure that that family is on the HIPAA family member is on their HIPAA form. Okay. Now, we do not call it translating because translating refers to word by word and no language can translate word by word. And so that's why we say interpret. Okay. And that's where the muddy water comes in in that they may not be interpreting what we're saying, because obviously they're not translating it word for word, then they may not interpret what we're saying in the right way. Again, what can nurses do to communicate better? It sounds like you said you had the advantage of knowing several languages. I'm guessing a lot of nurses maybe don't have that advantage, so what can they do? As far as patient care at the bedside, we'll have to find an interpreter or use our interpreter telephones where there is a live person on the other end. But as far as nursing and nursing education goes, we need to really support recruitment for a diverse uh, nursing workforce. And our organizations, all of our organizations in the health workforce of the hospital associations, Institute of Medicine, our philanthropic associations um, all are looking for and supporting diversity in nursing. Uh, so 
We need to recruit and we need to educate. Kind of mentioned some things that the nursing profession is doing. What are some things that maybe the government or educational institutions such as Trine or, you know, employers such as, you know, local health networks should do to address the issue? Well, that's a good question because um, we need these students in school. So financial aid in the forms of loans, scholarships, um, that's critical to especially the diverse or disadvantaged student. Tuition reimbursement or tuition assistance through the employer. We have, in, in the past, I've had students that worked as techs, certified nurse techs, in hospitals, and then the hospitals paid or had some sort of assistance for their nursing education. It's a, it's a good way to go. Title VIII, the Nursing Workforce Reauthorization Act and Loan Program, such as the Nurse Corp Scholarship and Loan Repayment Program, will pay a portion of the school debt. However, there's often stipulations that go with loan forgiveness and tuition reimbursement. So read the fine print. Um, we really need to get the word out in the middle school and especially the high school career and educational counseling for STEMI-type curricula. We need to get those maths and we need to get those sciences, the biological sciences. We don't want earth science. We'd like to see the biological A&P, um, a nice microbiology course, you know, just the biological sciences and algebra. Uh, we get students that have never taken algebra or have taken just uh, a very minimum of algebra. And for nursing school, they need college algebra. Healthcare magnet schools, as seen in some of the large cities, can play a role in getting students into the nursing uh, programs. More employers are offering tuition assistance for skilling up. And as I mentioned, my a student that I had started out as a tech use tuition reimbursement to become a nurse and go to nursing school. Like a lot of universities, skilling up takes somebody and allows them to go to school or progress in school and get a degree. For the hospitals, you might take somebody from dietary, housekeeping, or maintenance and help them further their education. How does Trine's RN to BSN program address the issue of workforce diversity? in both how we recruit students and in our curriculum? Well, the RN to BSN program is a post-licensure program, so they're already an RN. And our admission criteria are that the applicants have an unencumbered RN license in the U.S., graduated from an accredited associate program, and has, they have a 2.5 grade point average. So our criteria are simple, and there is no discrimination. Transcultural nursing, community health nursing, global health, and health promotion across the lifespan are four courses that address the issue of diversity in nursing care, diversity in the, our communities, and health care disparities. Could you describe a little bit more about those courses and, you know, kind of what they do to again, maybe to address the issue of diversity? Well, transcultural nursing is just as it, it says. We teach and show students how to be more culturally responsive to 
our diverse nation. And so um, it's, a, it's a lovely course and one that's very enjoyable. And you learn a lot about the disparities amongst the majority of the cultures that we have in the U.S. Community health nursing really shows the inequities that we see in our, uh, in our communities. One of the interesting projects that they do is they do a windshield survey, and that's not going out and putting things on windshields, but it's actually you get a family member to drive you around a neighborhood, and you take detailed notes on this neighborhood, and you pretty soon see that, wow, I've just been through a neighborhood, and it's a food desert. Food desert, of course, is there's no grocery stores. That's a very interesting course. And global health looks at the issues globally. So, of course, right now they'll look at the pandemic and how it's affected healthcare throughout the United States and the world. Um, but global health also looks at the epidemics that happen in Africa and Asia. Well, they'll look at SARS, they'll look at MERS, they'll look at Ebola. And it's a very, very interesting course because you suddenly realize that, you know, there's a lot out there that we have to do to clean up our world and make our, our world safer. And it doesn't have to do with hand hygiene all the time, but what about the deforesting of Brazil? And they'll learn stuff like that, which is really interesting. A health promotion across the lifespan is taking a person and it's any person from birth to death and looking at how you can promote health, quality health in that, in that person during those um, times and where the disparities are amongst our communities and our diverse populations. I know we talked a little bit about communication a little earlier, um, but what maybe are some other things that nurses who are not from diverse backgrounds can do to serve a more diverse population? Well, the most important part of working with or caring for the diverse populations is to know yourself. Campina Banquet is a nurse educator and theorist, and she has the model of cultural competency in healthcare delivery. She developed a wonderful tool that I think just anybody out there in the world should take. It's called the ASKED, A-S-K-E-D tool, and it assesses your cultural competency so that there's questions that this tool asks that you can reflect upon, such as, A, for am I aware of my prejudices and biases? S, am I skilled at conducting a culturally specific assessment? in a culturally sensitive manner. Now you could take this outside of nursing and am I skilled at communicating? Do I know about different cultures' healthcare needs? Do I avoid or engage with people from cultures different than mine? And do I want to become a culturally aware? I have had people tell me they have no interest in becoming culturally aware, which is a shame. But as a nurse, these are questions you can ask yourself and you can reflect upon and maybe understand yourself better. And if you understand yourself better and if you don't 
want to deal with a culture other than your own, then maybe there's some way that you can get some education. Maybe there's some way that you can talk with other people to find out how they work with and deal with other cultures. And that was a question that came to mind too is, and particularly maybe with the, as the questions relating to skill with culturally specific assessments or with knowledge of, of the healthcare needs of different cultures, what can a nurse do if they go through this assessment and say, well, you know, no, I'm really not that good at this? Well, we have lots and lots of continuing education out there for these nurses. There's literally hundreds of continuing education websites. The hospitals and most healthcare facilities also offer some sort of education. And we also have lots of booklets for it. Honestly, if you're not interested, you're not interested. I found very few people who are not interested in learning. Every once in a while, though, you, you run across somebody. But you have to be able to go in and talk to your patient. And you have to know that that patient is not going to be touched or you have to understand that you're not going to send a male nurse into a female Muslim woman's room or a female into a male Muslim's room. Those are just things that you need to know, kosher meals. Um, some of it's so simple. And one of the things that I have found in 35 years of nursing is that if you go in with an open mind and open heart and you just talk to somebody and you talk to them with respect and you question them in a way that shows that you're trying to learn, most people are very, very open to telling you all sorts of information about them, their culture, their history, their families. So communication, again, is very important. What advice do you have for people from diverse backgrounds who are interested in the nursing profession? Well, explore the schools. There are a lot of schools um, that offer nursing programs. Uh, explore the, the types of nursing programs, whether it be a two-year or four-year program. Make sure that you know about funding. Shadow nurses in different areas of nursing. Uh, right now, with COVID, that's not possible. But your high schools might be able to get you into some of the local uh, nursing homes, local clinics, and, of course, the hospitals, and let you shadow a nurse for a day. Um, but you want to make sure that you go to multiple units because you may go to one unit and go, oh, I'd never be a nurse, and go to another unit and go, oh, I can't wait. Um, study hard. Take your math and science courses and just don't be afraid to pursue your dream. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Melissa Somerville for joining me today for Faculty Focus. Be sure to check back at trineradio.com for new episodes as Trine faculty members talk about their research interests and the issues of the day. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.